This is the CR Checkup Podcast. My name is John. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ that struggles with drugs, alcohol, and pride. And you're listening to a Testimony Talk. On our Testimony Talks, we get a chance to hear from someone who has taken the steps and applied them to their own life. This gives us the opportunity to see how the program works and to gain hope that we might have similar experiences. Hey everybody, welcome to our testimony talk today. I am so excited that I have my wife on the podcast. Would you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Olivia and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ that struggles with drugs, alcohol, food, fear, and comparison. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Super excited to have you on the podcast. Obviously, we've done uh, this a couple of times, and it's been a lot of fun. I think we've had a a lot of really good conversations, Um, but I'm especially excited today because uh, we just get to talk a little bit about your story, which is just one of my absolute favorites. I love your story, especially all the parts with me in them. (laughs) Um, But no. So we did get a chance to hear uh, your testimony this past Monday. Um, If you weren't there, uh, sorry. We hope that you, for whatever reason that you weren't there, uh, we hope that you can make it soon. Um, If you're in another state or country, uh, we would still love to meet you somehow. Um, But uh, we would really encourage everyone to, if they can, to make it on Monday night. Um, but as always, our, our goal here is that um, we can give you an opportunity to somehow stay connected if you're not able to. Um, so uh, you might feel like you're missing out a little bit because we're not going to get too deep into Olivia's story. Um, but we're just going to kind of talk about just a few of those things. So um just first and foremost, uh, could you just tell our listeners a little bit uh, just about you and what brought you into the program? Absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, I do struggle with drugs and alcohol, and that is what initially brought me into the program. I had reached a point in my life uh, a few years ago now where I was using drugs and alcohol to self-medicate. Um, to allow myself to escape and and numb myself from the realities in which I was facing. There were a lot of just emotional and mental uh, situations that had exhausted me um, where I found myself wanting wanting to be free of that. And so I believed um, at the time that drugs and alcohol would provide me that relief um, and in talking about honesty and transparency um, as part of the foundation of the program, I think it's important for me to say that it did provide a temporary relief or Mm. even satisfaction to some degree, but it was never long lasting. And I would always um, either wake up the next day or come out of, you know, my, my time doing those things uh, with regret and, remorse and and wanting and wishing for things to be different and so um, my mother actually uh, talked to me about an intensive outpatient program that was available in the Phoenix area as I had just uh, recently moved out 
to Arizona from Ohio, and she actually flew out from my hometown to uh, take me there uh, through intake, and uh, we met a wonderful uh, guidance counselor, drug counselor, who was there, who explained to me a little bit about what IOP was and what I could benefit from it, and I did not want to go whatsoever. Um, I can vividly see myself in the chair crying, giving my mom the eye of, I want out. This is not what I want for myself. Um, Even though I didn't want to have drugs and alcohol consume me either. That's also not what I wanted for myself. So I knew something had to change um, because I I was not happy with the life I was living and I was feeling spiritually drained and just really lost at that point in time. And so, um, again, she, she took me there and I decided after a very, uh, painful conversation with her that this would be, um, something that I I wanted to embark on. And, um, it was really hard, but I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what addiction is and, um, how my story falls within that scope. I had a, you know, a stereotypical view of what I thought addiction looks like. I thought it needed to be where I had lost my job, that I no longer had any friends or family, you know, around me, uh, encourage me or supporting me or, or whatever. I thought that I needed to be homeless, that I needed to be, you know, completely isolated away from everybody. Um, But it didn't quite look like that externally. Internally, I definitely battled a lot of those same feelings where I felt homeless, where I didn't have a place where I felt that I belonged. I was um, engaged with people from all different walks of life where I didn't really feel like I I had a place there. And, you know, I I still maintained a part-time job, um, but I wasn't even working full-time at that point either. And um, I definitely, again, felt felt very spiritually empty. So um, I decided, again, that, that, that that's something that I wanted to, to do, even though I really struggled with the acceptance part that I, you know, growing up in the church, a Christian woman would have such a struggle. And so... Um, I won't ever forget this, but uh, um, one of my one of my peers that were in the intensive outpatient program uh, after I had completed seven long weeks, four days a week, um, three hours each and every um, class that I that I was in. Um, everybody was kind of wishing me well and and giving me uh, encouragement and hope. And he was like, Olivia, don't forget that you're one of us. Mm. And that's just always always stood with me because it's so easy for me to uh, kind of fall into that insanity trap or that denial trap that, oh, because my life didn't look like what I thought an addict's life or an alcoholic's life is supposed to look like on the outside, that that somehow gives me a pass (laughs) that I don't struggle with these things. And so um, whenever I start falling into um, these insane thoughts or or denial starts to creep in a little bit, I remind myself of, of what that, that gentleman told me. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. I, uh, something that's kind of a, a bit of a, a common theme, uh, I think usually whenever you're telling your story and, and something I think that you shared on Monday that, that uh, means a lot to me, you, you had said 
something to the effect of you wouldn't admit that you're or you thought your life was under control and so that allowed your life to spin out of control mm -hmm. and I just thought wow that's so good I, I think that no matter where I am at at any point in my recovery or in my active addiction or use or her habit or hang up or whatever it may be uh, just the unwillingness to take an honest look is itself one of the factors that that kind of makes my life out of control mm -hmm. and uh, I just thought that, that was so good but and, and you did kind of touch on it um, in the sense of just like not wanting to admit that you were an alcoholic or not wanting to admit that you were like you know one of us um, do you think you could like maybe like go a little bit further on that like what the process is because I know that we still talk about this is kind of still that process of, of coming to terms with, um, okay, I can say I'm an alcoholic, um, but maybe my view is a little bit different now. Maybe when I say I'm an alcoholic, I'm not saying I'm a terrible person and that's, you know, a broken person. What does it mean? Like, how, how do you kind of cope with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me in, in what comes to mind is, when we talk about the first step, it says that we admitted we were powerless over our addictions or compulsive behaviors and our lives had become unmanageable. And when I think about that word admit, I think that there are a couple of steps of uh, a couple of steps before step one comes yeah. um, that I really had to wrestle with. And um, that was first being aware that there was something going on, um, whether or not I wanted to believe it at that point in time. There were friends that I had and family that I had that, you know, truly cared about me and would point out some of those things that were contrary to quote unquote normal life. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my initial uh, understanding or kind of ushering in. Yeah, exactly. Um, ushering into that something is off here. Something is not right here. Um, and I knew that in my heart of hearts, but to really have someone point that out and, and speak that um, to me made it become a little bit more real. And so mm -hmm. once I became aware of that, then I had to acknowledge that fact. You know, once somebody gave me that information, you know, spoke that into my life, then I had a responsibility with that information. And so I had to come to, to the point of acknowledging it and, and saying that, yeah, you know what? you are right, you know, in my heart, I know that this is not what I was created or designed to do. And then really arriving at that admit admittance of saying, you know what, I am powerless over alcohol and drugs and my life is unmanageable. And my, you know, rock bottom looks very different than what maybe other people's rock bottoms looks like. And that's fine. That was the wake up call that I needed to um, needed to happen so that I could change the trajectory of my life with, of course, God's help. It wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, a, a solo effort in that. And then even after admitting it, truly accepting it, because that has always been the hardest part. Because again, I wrestled with these contradicting, you know, themes of what I thought is what an alcoholic or 
or addict is life is supposed to look like and so then accepting that but knowing that's not my identity mm-hmm. and just because i am a christian woman who struggles with drugs and alcohol doesn't depreciate my value or my worth or what god can do in and through me and so really really accepting that so i could move forth in healing mm-hmm. um and step out of that denial into then believing and knowing that God cares very deeply for me and wants to do something with my life and my story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the process that it looked like from <laughs> from yeah. beginning to, to where I am. And I love step one because I constantly feel like I have to go back to step one and yeah. in, in not forgetting that um, the decisions and and circumstances that I fell into you know, and I allowed myself to fall into created a life for me in which I am always one step away from reverting back to if I don't do the things that I need to do in order to cope with life in a healthy way. Yeah, no, that's so good. And obviously, there's so much there. I I think, I mean, that's obviously a 30,000 foot view, right? Like, (laughs) uh, just even arriving at a conclusion, or just kind of be, like the acceptance of mm-hmm. having information from a loved one and then like getting to the point where you're like okay that's true um like just sounds like oh yeah you heard some information you accepted it you moved forward it's like yeah but if we even put like some like a time stamp on mm-hmm. that like it's like it, it's much more much complex longer. yeah um but I think that that's just so common in the program where it's like it's simple, but it's mm-hmm. not easy, right? It's simple, but like there's many components to it, and uh, so yeah, just to just to kind of speak to those out there that might be listening, and and I think that that happens a lot in the program where we talk about like yeah, I did these things like or yeah, the twelve steps. I took the twelve steps, and that led to or ha- is le- leading to uh, you know a, a, a life that is serene. And it's like, oh, 12 steps, like that, that's already oversimplifying the fact like, that there's so much work in all of that. And so just, just for those of you listening that that's, um, you know, it's okay to kind of fumble through mm-hmm. these things and, and wherever you're at, you know, uh, just trust the process and just keep, keep going forward. Yeah. And I think too, without really getting ahead of ourselves and taking one step at a time, the four step really highlighted a lot of that for me as well. Um, and then looking back at the the previous three steps and and seeing what that work looked like and what that meant and, and how I interpreted those and how I incorporated them into my life, then coming to that four step and laying everything out on paper, you know, was I was able to truly look at myself and see myself in a lens that, you know, most people probably saw me in the Mm -hmm. beginning um, when I was in that, you know, stage of of becoming aware and and acknowledging it. Um, And I think it's equally as important for me to say to that, even though drugs and alcohol were my initial experience that led me to recovery, I've learned a lot about myself through the first four steps, really, um, that have paved the way for me to discover other ways in which I hurt, other ways um, or habits that I have um, that uh, cause these these hangups or these reservations or hesitations of truly living out the call that God has placed on my life. And so 
drugs and alcohol are a very small part. Um, mm. I don't want to minimize the fact that I have struggles there, but it is a it is a small part in what was happening underneath or, or below the surface, the things that were rooted right. in my soul and the things that I believe to be true that were not true or, you know, the things that were true about myself that I that I do believe God has, you know, given me in, in the sense of like abilities and, right. and gifts and how he's made me um, and overcoming those lies um, from that. But no, that's so good. I you and you're mentioning kind of going into the four step where it's that's so important because I think that so oftentimes, um, I mean, those of us as addicts and just as human beings, I think that the the part of the human condition is like instant gratification and mm. and we want things to you know we want to be able to you know uh, buy a new life on Amazon and get it two days <laughs> later. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like the how the program like there's some very obvious steps that have to take place in order to get ready to come in, mm-hmm. you know, even just just before starting the process and then getting a sponsor and then getting some accountability partners and then taking steps one, two, and three and then getting to step four mm-hmm. where things actually start to change. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's it, I, and we see this so oftentimes in the program where people bail, you know, as they're going into the four step or never even getting there, mm-hmm. not fully understanding that like these, all of that is all precursors to the actual thing that's going to take you. I love what it says in the big book that's talking about as you're working through the four step and sharing that with another person is what kind of sparks that spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And you, and you spoke on that as well, of just like coming to, to terms and realizing uh, what you already knew was true because of what people had might have said or experiences that you might have not have uh, taken an honest look at. And so Mm -hmm. that's really good. Yeah. We definitely got a little bit ahead uh, because right now (laughs) on Mondays, we're talking about step two. Actually, we just finished up our conversation about step two. Um, This next Monday, we're going to be starting uh, our conversation about step three. So we encourage you to come and check that out. It's going to be a good time. Uh, a, a fun and safe place to be able to have conversations and, and wonder about this stuff. Um, but yeah, just to, just to kind of cap us off right with step two. Uh, step two says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And uh, yeah, I was just wondering, how has uh, that step specifically affected you? That's a great question. There's a couple of words that always jump out to me in each and every step. And I think that um, it's important to highlight those. Uh, So when we talk about believe and then greater than and restoration or restore, those are the ones that jump out to me, even though sanity and insanity (laughs) is a very big part of this step, is that, you know, we've often talked about in in the room um, at CR as of late that even if I don't believe that God would do that for me, could he do that for me? And there's always this question um, that I've recently been wrestling with in a lot of different areas of my life is, well, is this a possibility? Mm-hmm. Is is there a chance that this could happen? And so um, coming and arriving to this conclusion of belief and knowing that God can do something here, maybe I don't know exactly what that looks like or, or how that's going to take place or what kind of impact even that's going to have on my life, but then 
but coming and arriving at a conclusion that, okay, he can do something. And now even taking that a step further in, in saying that he will do something um, and believing that and, and truly clinging to that. Um, and then, you know, I believe that God is much greater than me <laughs> um, and can can restore my sanity. And this idea of, of it's not just me by myself trying to figure it out, trying to get myself to the point where, you know, I would want to be or the version of myself that I believe I was created to be, um, but truly relying on God who is much greater than me and really truly sees the whole picture, you know, but also um, even in the details as well. Um, so I I love that part because it's a it's a humbling a step, I think, in a lot of ways to know that I can't do it on my own. Um, and it really removes the pride and the ego part of it where I would prefer to fix it maybe by myself <laughs> um, without anybody knowing or or coming alongside of me and helping me through that. But uh, and then just talking about restoration, like there's something that then takes place. If someone is restoring something or someone, then there is the truth that it's broken mm. or um, it needs um, some tender love and care. <laughs> well, um, in this case, if, if you're saying restored to sanity, like mm -hmm. you're saying, oh, well, if I have to be restored to sanity, that must mean I live in insanity. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's heavy. Yeah. And like coming out of that too, through this step is that I believe that God could restore my irrational thinking. Right. Um, because that's what my insanity looks like of irrationalizing situations or my feelings and then acting upon those irrational thoughts that lead to some level of regret or remorse and then trying to justify those actions mm -hmm. and just the vicious cycle in that. Um, and so believing that God could do something different within me that he could mend those gaps in my thinking in in my ways of behaving in in my attitude or, or even belief in things um, and restoring them to the condition in which I believe he he would want them to be that's so good I love that I love you <laughs> <laughs> I love you uh, thank you so much for sharing a little bit more um, of course I would encourage all you women out there, uh, make it a point to come on a Monday night and connect with Olivia. Uh, I know that um, it's going to be a, a, a great benefit, uh, not only for you, but also for Olivia, because we understand um, as broken people that are trying to grow in our recoveries uh, that, that we need more people around us. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would love to, to meet you or, or see you if we haven't seen you in a little while. But before we kind of go, I just was uh, wondering or hoping if you had something to share uh, with the newcomers, somebody who's just in, brand new in the program, or maybe who is just checking out the program to see if it might be for them. What would you tell um, both of them? Okay, so I'm going to start with the latter there about talking to someone who might just be checking out the program to see if it would be for them. 
I can honestly say that I thought the program was not for me <laughs> and uh, wholeheartedly believing that I couldn't really benefit from anything because my life didn't look a certain way. And I think I've talked exhaustively about that. <laughs> but my encouragement to you, the person who is thinking that this may or may not be for them, would be to try to remove any expectation or preconceived notions that you have about recovery mm -hmm. and even the word recovery yeah. because a lot of times it does imply that there is a struggle with drugs and alcohol and we welcome all of you who are just like me that mm -hmm. struggle with drugs and alcohol but there is a larger a larger pool of us a larger people group of us that struggle with other things too that are equally as important to dive into and work mm -hmm. the 12 steps on. So I would say, yes, leave the preconceived notions at the front door and be open-minded as hard as that is to do sometimes. And remember that all of us have literally been in your shoes right. at some point in time, afraid to take that first step, afraid to walk through the doors, afraid that other people might think that I'm X, Y, Z. Um, but knowing that recovery is a selfish program in that I need to take care of myself and work on the things within me that are broken so that I can be of service to those who are still hurting and still um, and still suffering. Not to say that I don't still hurt though, but <laughs> don't want to communicate that either. And then to um, the newcomer, uh, for someone that's kind of maybe been hanging around a little bit, maybe check, checked out our group or a group like this, um, or a room just like this um, I it's cliche but I would say keep coming back mm -hmm. um, I've developed friendships in in these rooms and women that I can talk to about the things that are going on in my life even though I you know have had some clean time away from drugs and alcohol I have um, a community of people that are constantly reflecting and looking within themselves to say how can I work through this in a healthy way and then pass that knowledge and experience to to those around me. And so that's been really huge in my life to be able to learn. Uh, but also to the newcomer, when you come through the doors, me, I have an opportunity to remind myself of what it was like when I first came through the doors. And I think that helps me to not step back into that denial, thinking that hmm, my life doesn't quite look like what an addict or alcoholic's life is supposed to look like. Yeah. So you help me more than you know. Yeah, you're needed mm -hmm. yeah. and wanted. Yes, and your story matters so very much, and it will touch people's lives around you, even if it's just one. Um, and that impact goes a long way, and I believe it ripples into time and space outside of what's yeah. happening right now. So good. Good. All right. Thank you, go. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. Love having you on here. Uh, we love everybody who's listening, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to a testimony talk. I hope that you take what we talk about here and have conversations with others. The things that we talk about on here are meant to start conversations, not end them. So I pray that you would talk with someone about what you heard here today 
and that you would look for ways to be a light in your own community. If you are struggling to find community and people to talk with, then please send an email to recovery at palmvalley.org and I will personally get you connected with a volunteer from Celebrate Recovery. Nothing changes the fact that we need each other, even if that means that we have to find new and creative ways to do so. You can also send me encouraging messages, comments, or concerns to that same email, recovery at palmvalley.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then please share it with someone else. I love you all, and I hope to see you soon.